You're listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast, where we share our recorded teachings from our Monday night Bible study. This year, we're in the book of Exodus, and we ask that you do your homework in your study book, or make sure to read the passage in the description before diving in. Happy listening. All right, so... On page eight, I am going to kind of walk us through the book a little bit to help us get oriented to it. If you want to go ahead and turn to page eight, there's some principles there for better Bible study. We're really, really grateful for this book. It's a new resource to us. If you've been here before, we've used um, a resource from the Village Church out of Dallas and this this group of people, they're out of Texas. I'm not really sure exactly where she's from, but I've actually been communicating with the people, the lady who's in charge of this and writes the study and they're just so sweet and they're committed to our same mission, right? To equip us, to encourage us, and to empower us to go out and to love God and then to love others. So um, we've got some principles for better Bible study here at the beginning, and I'm going to let you do the reading here. I'm just going to cover three of them that I feel are most important. And number one, if you've read it yet, you know that's where we always begin, right? Is that the Bible is a book about God. We have to start there because a lot of times we try to come at it from the other side of that, thinking that the Bible is a book about us. And if you look at principle number two, it's that the Bible is not a book about you. (laughs) The Bible is a book about God. It's how he makes himself known. It's how Jesus is revealed to us. It's how we get the knowledge that we need to be saved, right? And so the Bible is primarily and absolutely a book about God. And so we have to keep that order in place so that we're approaching scripture rightly. So that's one and two. And number seven, I'm skipping all the way to the end. Read those other ones on your own. There's the Bible tells one big story. The Bible is about real people. The Bible is supernatural. In Hebrews, we're told that it's living and active, right? Um, And then number six, context is crucial, which we'll kind of hash out a little bit later. But number seven, commitment is key. So you've all made a commitment to showing up on Monday nights, to doing your homework, to spending time in prayer and in the word. And that commitment is key. And it's a commitment that doesn't just stay on Monday nights. It's a commitment that you, as a believer in Christ, we should be committed to, for lack of better words, where I can't find my words, um, your whole life, right? Whenever we stepped into this journey with God and he called us, he called us to seeking him in his word and seeking him through prayer and seeking him through community. And so this is just something that facilitates that commitment, right? So it's a commitment and it is key. So make it a point to um, honor your commitment and be encouraged and exhorted by your small group and the other ladies here. So in Devoted, we have three goals. We used to only have two goals, but I've added one because it was good. So we have three goals for our time together when we're doing Bible study. And the first one is to get a working knowledge of the text, right? We really want to grow in familiarity with what is going on in the scriptures. We want to know the story. We want to know what's happening and where it's happening and where it's lining up on the timeline, right, of um, what is going on in the book and any book we're reading. That's one of our goals is we want to grow in a working knowledge. Um, We want to be able to tell somebody how to get there or maybe where something is located if you're not sure. And not that you have to know like chapter 
chapter and verse, but you should say, you know what, I think that story's in the book of Exodus, maybe towards the middle or the end, you know, just kind of have a, a general idea of what is going on in God's Word. Um, and our second goal is that we want to approach God's Word with confidence. So by coming together and studying like this, we hope that each and every year you're growing in your confidence in approaching God's Word with or without a study book like this to help you out. We want you to take these tools that the book implements to be able to put into place in your own time of study outside of something like Devoted because in reality we're only meeting nine weeks on this one semester, right? And then another nine weeks next semester, that leaves somebody math it for me because I can't, but that leaves all those other weeks in the year (laughs) that we're on our own, right? And so... We have to take our tools that we're learning and implement them in those times so that we are being good stewards of what God has given us. So as God's children, we should know or we should be growing in our knowledge of the word. And so we want you to do that with confidence. And we think that we help you to accomplish that here in Devoted. So you and you alone, at the end of the day, you're responsible for what you do with God's word. And... We're just here to help you handle it rightly, hopefully, and with confidence. So number three, our third goal is that we want to grow in union with Christ and with our sisters in Christ. And that goes back to principle number seven, right? This requires a commitment on our part. It's a requirement or not a requirement. Maybe it should be. It's a commitment to doing the study, even though it's it's lengthy. There's depth to it. It's not just fluffy and soft. Like it's going to take your time and your effort. And we want you to spend time in prayer over it. It's a commitment to prayer. It's a commitment to showing up each and every week, week in and week out. And if you're not going to be here, y'all have already been telling me some of you are going to miss. And that's fine. That's normal. That's life. But it's don't let the missing continue the missing. Like just show right back up where you're at. Even if you fall off and you um, didn't get your lesson done, don't feel like you have to make it all up and fill in all those blanks before you show back up. Just show back up. Jump right back in with us where we're at. Honor your commitment. And um, you're going to get out what you put in. You reap what you sow. Like, that's that's from Jesus himself. <laughs> so, all right. So this book specifically, it has three steps for helping us to grow in... Um, to help us accomplish these goals, right? And so in your book, it's uh, sectioned off in three sections. And the first section is listen. The second one is lean in. And then the third one is learn. And so in this first section of listen, uh, the book is going to have you utilize this study tool, this comprehension method or study method, which is called comprehension, interpretation, and application. You may have heard it called observation, interpretation, application, all meaning kind of the same thing, right? We want to interpret the text or comprehend the text and ask what it says. We want to interpret it and find out what it means. And we want to then, then apply it after we faithfully comprehend and then interpret it. Then we can start asking, how should this change? me. So we utilize books like this that help us work in those orders, like our last books do the same thing, because that order we feel is how you're going to arrive at the most faithful application in your life, because you've done the work to find out what God really is wanting us to glean from His Word. So the listen portion, if you want to turn with me on week, well, no, skip week one, and we're going to look at week two. So page 15, 
if you want to turn to page 15, that's the beginning of the first listen portion. And it has us start out with a prayer focus. So before we had our prayer focus like on the website, well now it's like lovely right here in your book. I'm telling you, they're amazing. I just, her name is Summer and I'm like, Summer, this is everything. <laughs> this is everything, you've, you've done it, you've done it. So there's our prayer focus. Uh, the reflect section is gonna make you look on the previous week. And then um, one of the big, big ones, so I'm gonna say prayer, huge. Every time you're opening your study, every time you're thinking about your study, do it prayerfully. Ask Holy Spirit to help you to understand so that you can um, handle his, wor his word rightly, right? And one of the next key steps to starting is reading with purpose. You're going to want to make sure that you're reading that text all the way through. I'm going to encourage you to make it a point to swap out some Instagram scrolling, some Facebook scrolling, and replace it with reading whatever the text is for that week. That's a good wholesome trade, is it not? Like, I could do some less Instagram scrolling. I'll be the first to raise my, uh, raise my hand there. Um, because here's the thing, repetitious reading, it leads to retention. Like it's just science, it's facts. And so make it a point to read through that lesson a few different times even if you can get it in. Um, try some different translations even. That helps to kind of unlock some different meanings and insight, listen to it. Push play on your Bible app. Um, Angie and I, we've recently downloaded Dwell. It's amazing. You have to pay for it, but it's amazing to have Gregory read it to you because he has a wonderful voice. Um, while you're in the shower, while you're cooking, doing dishes, again, making those good, wholesome swaps for the Word of God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And the, the idea is that familiarity with the word is going to grow your intimacy mm -hmm. with the word, which is growing intimacy with God himself. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that the book is going to help us work through the CIA, through the comprehension, interpretation and application of the scripture, is that it's going to do it differently than in the past. It's going to have us walk through um, all of our comprehension questions in the beginning and then all of our interpre interpretation questions and then at the end we're going to do that application which again it's in the right order and I love that it's kind of blocking those off differently for if you've been with us before we hope that this is refreshing for you I've personally enjoyed it as I've been working through on my own so look forward to that and one of the things we need to remember that um Remember why we're here is, yes, we want knowledge and we want understanding, but we don't just want knowledge and understanding. We want knowledge and understanding that's then going to lead to our transformation, right? Romans 12, 2 says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And when we're approaching scripture prayerfully and often and just soaking it in, we're going to start to be transformed, because we're going to see more of God and we're going to see more of ourself in light of God. And that's going to lead to that renewed mind and that change of heart to where we want to love him even more. And then as a result, we want to go love others more. Right. So Jen Wilkins says it best. She says the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So we do. We do the hard work of showing up to get the knowledge. Right. But we can't stop there. We've got to let that knowledge sink down deep to lead to our transformation. So from um, so from that first page 15, if you turn over, you're going to see the text. The book gives you a copy of the text on your own. I will tell you, this book 
is CSB version. That's Christian Standard Bible version. So you have that text there for you to mark up. If you prefer another version, that's up to you. You can get on Bible Gateway is the one I like to get on and I copy paste from there. And if you want to mark it up like that, if you just like marking up your Bible, that's up to you. Um, I just wanted you to know this is CSB version. Um, that's there for you to highlight, annotate. One of the things that this book is going to ask of us each week is to take a blue highlighter or pencil or whatever and it's going to look uh, ask you to highlight or underline what God is saying and what he's doing. And so that's something to keep top of mind as you're reading through and just making a point to find him, right? Because he's there and he's generally, and especially in Exodus, he's saying something or he's doing something. And so it's our job to observe it, right? So when we get to the comprehension point of the um, homework, what we generally say in Devoted is that we want you to, if you don't do anything at all, if you can't manage to get anything done, we want you to read the text. Make it a point to at least read the text. But me being an overachiever and wanting to tell you, do more. <laughs> um, I ask that you try your hardest to at least get the comprehension questions done. Because again, those are completely sectioned out now. Like, if you do anything, let's make sure we're comprehending the text. But again, if you don't get to it at all, we want you to still show up. There's all the grace there. We don't you ever want you to feel like, I can't go because I didn't get my homework done, or I didn't get that comprehension section done, or I didn't get the right answer on number 18. Like, always show up. Don't let anything like that hold you back, because that's just a lie from the enemy, sister, trying to keep you out of this place where you need to be. So... Make it a point to at least get comprehension done. I'm going to say it anyways, even though I'm like, there's all the grace. Do your comprehension questions. <laughs> so, and it's important that we do that. And I'll tell you why. The comprehension is we have to know what it's saying, right? Because if we come in here without having read it and we're coming with what we think it says, you're not being faithful to the scripture. And again, you're responsible with how you're handling the word. And so comprehension, at least if you get that done and you're very aware of what's happening in the text, when your small group leader is asking those other questions and the interpretation and the application portions, you're going to be more equipped to handle them right. Right? So, comprehension. Comprehend it. Okay, so then we move on to interpretation. And that's the section where you're going to do the work of discovering what the text is, what it actually means. So, in that portion, you're uncovering the meaning and the intention that the original human author, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was trying to get across in writing the passage. The book gives us some good tools to do that, some good wording of questions to help us do that. And at the end of the day, we do the hard work of comprehension and then interpretation because, again, you're the one that's going to answer to God for how you've interpreted the scriptures. And you're not going to answer to God for how I interpreted the scriptures. You're not going to answer to God for how your pastor interpreted the scriptures or your friend or your husband or podcast or whatever else. You will answer to God for how you wielded your sword that he gave you. So we, again, we want to do that well, right? So from interpretation, we're then going to move into application. And again, we love this book's format. So each week, let's see, somebody got a page number for me? 26. Good job. Page 26. 
So each week we're going to recognize his voice and it's asking us, what did God draw our attention to that week? And then we're going to respond. We're going to ask us, how can we respond to that text? And so that's going to, again, cause us to grow in familiarity with the text because we're going to need to glance back over it, right? Go back over your questions, go back over the text and familiarize yourself with it yet again. And when we're doing this work of application, this isn't in the book, so maybe you might want to write these three things down. And when we're doing the work of application, there's an order that we should work through. The first question we should be asking is, how did this apply to them then? Right? How did God intend for these words uh, intend for the text to apply to that people at that time. So them, then. And then number two is how does God intend for this text to apply to us always? Because first and foremost, the Bible is written to the body of Christ, to the church, right? And so that step is cru- crucial because God looks at us as a whole, Like, yes, he sees us individually and he loves you. You're special and great. But he sees his body. He sees the children. Right. And so he has an intention for us as the church where our application is concerned. And then the third thing we need to ask is then we can get to this part. How does this apply to me now? How does this apply to me now? And how does God intend to make me as an individual more into his image? Again, through the renewing of my mind, through the renewing of my motives and the renewing of my love for him and for others. So work through those three whenever you come to that point in in, in doing the application section, because it's kind of more open here. It's a little more broad than we're used to. And so them, then, us, always me now so let's see and again y'all before you're doing doing any of this i cannot stress enough to say start with prayer start with prayer because God has given you his Holy Spirit. Like it's his job to help us, to help us remember all that Jesus said, which Jesus is the word. So all of them are his words, right? That's one of the reasons he gave us the Holy Spirit is to counsel us and to um, be with us and to guide us and to teach us in all things. And so let him do that. And it's through your surrender and through your posture of how you're approaching it. So in this book, just like before, um, you've got an attribute list back there. You've got a map and then you've got a cute little illustrated overview of chapters one through 15. It kind of reminds me of the Bible project. If you haven't seen it yet, it's really cute. Um, The attribute list, I do want to make a note. It's a little different than the one that we've used before. They just use a different wording. Still all good. It's still all there. Feel free to use whichever one you want. If you want a devoted one, I meant to make copies, but I forgot. If you want a devoted one from previous times, previous times, (laughs) we're in a new era, (laughs) y'all. Get with us and we'll get you that copy too. I think we probably have some in the closet. So they're both good to have. And um, ours is, you could probably keep it in there to reference a little more quickly. And then here's the fun one. As always, when you're doing your homework, and for those of you who aren't new, it's not as always that your first time hearing it. Do not, please, please, please do not reference any commentary as you are doing your homework. You have the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, and I will tell you that's sufficient. He is enough. 
And so we ask that you refrain from commentaries. That's if you have a study Bible, that's those cute little study notes that are so helpful at the bottom. That's getting on Blue Letter Bible and looking up what good old Spurgeon says or anybody else says. That's listening to a podcast on it. We want you to do the work of comprehending, interpreting, and applying the text before you ever ask anybody else what they think. Because guess what? The next step in our process is you've done all this study work on your own with this book. Step two is you're going to lean in. That's your small group time. That's when you're going to bring your questions. That's going to when you're going to bring your thoughts and when you're going to bring your frustrations or whatever else you might bring. We ask that you bring your humility, please. Please bring your humility. But that's whenever you come and you start to hash this out in community, right? Because if we're a believer, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, Guess who is also in our friends and our sisters? The Holy Spirit of God. And we have something to learn from them, something to glean. So show up and hash it out. And then um, if still, if you have questions after that, hang tight because step three on the next page. So you've got a page there for your small group notes and you can write down your friends' insights and whatnot. But then there's a page there for um, 29 for the learning step. And that is the teaching. So each lesson, we're going to have a teaching that covers the lesson to help us round out our time together um, for that week's passage. And then back to not referencing commentaries. It's it's purposeful in design, right? We want everyone coming on an even playing field. Again, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the word. Hopefully you have a humble heart, an open mind, a willingness to learn, and then a willingness to be teachable. And whenever we jump the gun and we run to those commentaries, we're missing out on exercising these muscles and learning in community. Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but before mass production, before we had the word of God, the church learned in community. They had to come and sit and gather and be taught. And so when we're doing that here, we're doing what Jesus intended. Y'all, it's good. So we want everybody coming on an even playing field. And whenever you come, because here's the thing. A lot of us know the book of Exodus, right? We've heard, we've already heard tons of sermons. We've already heard commentaries. We've already heard podcasts, whatever. So we're coming with a lot of information and that's good and fine, but make sure that you've internalized those for yourself. Make sure that whenever you're repeating something you've heard that you can back it up with scripture, right? We want scripture to always be what's interpreting scripture. We don't want to just rely on what other people have said. So... Let me see. Oh, and just so you know, us as teachers, we follow this method as well. Before we touch any kind of commentary and start preparing our teachings and things, we're doing the same thing. We're working through it. We're comprehending, interpreting, and then applying. And then we say, you're heretical. (laughs) Just kidding. Like, no, you're wrong. Yes. Well, it had to be you. All right. So now. Now, sorry, this is halfway through because now we're jumping into the fun part. We're jumping into the introduction to the book of Exodus. So if you want to turn back in lesson one, let's see. Page 11. Page 11. So that's why we do what we do and how we do what we do. And we're glad you're here. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And in Hebrew, which is the original language of the Israelites, the title of this book is... These are the names. 
Were y'all ready for that? That's what the that's what it's called. And these are the names. So I just thought that was great. But in Greek is actually where we get that word exodus. And it's um, what we see in all of our modern translations, right? Exodus means going out. Or sometimes it's even interpreted the road out or departure, which is a very fitting title because that's exactly what's happening in Exodus, right? The Israelites go out or depart from Egypt under the mighty delivering hand of God. So what is missing, though, from all of our modern translation is that first sentence of Exodus and and it's this first little word, and it's left off because of proper English, and that word is and. And and it's important for us to know, even though we're not seeing it, we need to know that that word and there is at the beginning of verse 1, because Exodus is actually a continuation of the book in which it follows, and that's Genesis. It's a continuation of that story. So the end of Genesis was actually all about the Israelites Inados is the Greek word. It's all about their going in to Egypt, right? If you remember the end of Genesis, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers and um, rose to power and was second in right hand to Pharaoh. And then later, like way skipping all the details, he was able to provide sanctuary for his family to enter in the Inados. That's where they were on the road in. It's so fun. So um, they went in to Egypt at the end, and now we're seeing they're there, right? They are there. And so um, that that verse one, it says, and, because we're picking up on that story, and it says, these are the names, sorry, Angela, I am kind of getting in on your lesson, but not much, I promise. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to, Jake, uh, to, came to Egypt with Jacob. So it's all of Jacob's sons, and it lists his sons, and then it goes on to tell us that there was 70 of them. And that they multiplied greatly and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So verse seven is really pointing us to the fact that a lot of time has passed from Genesis to where we're picking up here in Exodus. And that's important to know because one of our biggest central themes is that God makes himself known in the book of Exodus and all of the Bible. But really in Exodus, we're just seeing, like, think about the plagues. God is showing up, right? So God is making himself known. And we need to place ourselves in the Israelites' shoes for a moment and consider what world they were living in during this time. They're in Egypt. This is a polytheistic culture. There's multiple gods claiming multiple things. And I mean, there's not gods claiming this because they're all fake, by the way. None of them are real. None of them have any power. But man has made idols, right? And they're living in this culture. And they surely, friends, they surely would have been influenced in a negative way, right? There's no way that they, especially as we go on to read, like this is kind of what they do is they're influenced by the culture around them. But they would have been um, influenced by the Egyptians surrounding them and whoever else had come into Egypt seeking refuge, right? Because they probably weren't the only ones. So they had kind of removed themselves from God to a point to where now he's having to make himself known again. And that's exactly what he's doing. 
upon their multiplication and their suffering because of the threat of their number to Pharaoh, right? God hears their cry and he remembers them. One of my favorite verses that I've encountered encountered so far, I should have referenced it, but I didn't, but it simply said, God knew. God knew. He knew what was happening. He knew what was going on and they cried out and he answered. He made himself known. So, hold on, I lost my spot. So he makes himself known to his people once again, because he's already done that through Abraham, right? And Jacob and the rest of them, like it all should have kind of trickled down. But there was this point of removal. And we know that God doesn't just make himself known to the Israelites. As we're going to read, as we start off the study, he's making himself known to everyone. There's not somebody that's not affected by what is going on here in the story in that region. And so if you remember back to our study of Matthew and even our study of Acts, this is because the gospel is for everyone. And God was showing himself even then, even in these hard times when the Gentiles were, man, like they were getting the the horrible end of the stick here, but he's making himself known, right? He's distinguishing himself from the Egyptian gods, quote unquote. So for the Israelites, the Exodus event is a milestone marker in their story as a people. And I'll argue it's our story as well. So over 120 times, authors in the Old Testament refer back to the Exodus, um, whether that's through a poem or a prayer or a liturgy or actual prophetic word in the Old Testament. And we see reference to the Exodus all over the New Testament as well. This is a key, key story in the in the story of the Israelites. And so it's good for us to understand it as well. So the story um, of scripture is God's story. And again, we're included. And that's so beautiful. First Corinthians 10, six says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as we did. So there's things for us to glean here. First Corinthians 10 or nine ten says that it was given God's word, the law, all five books at the front were given for our sake. And then Romans 15, four alludes to the fact that it's given for our hope. So we take time to look back on Exodus and look back and remembering all that God had done and said so that it can propel us into looking forward with hope, knowing and trusting and believing that God is still working and that he has a victory and he has a final say and that he is the one true God. So now we're going to open up the envelope as we're used to doing in our past, uh, past studies. So the author of the book of Exodus is Moses. And it's kind of funny because he's having to write his own story in the third person. <laughs> and like as you get into it and if you haven't read it before, you'll start like where he was kind of messing up big time. I, could you imagine having to write your own, <laughs> own, own stories where you're like, God, no, don't send me. I suck. I can't do this, God. And then like him using you still like and he's having to write this. It's crazy. So Moses is Israel's lawgiver. He's Israel's deliverer at the time. He's Israel's prophet, their judge. Um, He's the author of the Torah, like I just was mentioning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. He's author of all five of those books. He is Israel's spiritual father at this time, and he's Israel's advocate before God. We'll see some of that where he's saying, don't kill them, God. They're idiots. Stop it. I'm sorry. Remember who you are because they're dumb and they forgot. Like, don't do it. He advocates for them. 
and he was actually writing these books while they were wandering in the desert. And again, it's this idea he was wanting to tell them because they're about to go into the promised land, right? He's writing it for their sake because he wanted them to remember where they came from so that they could remember where they're going. So it was written when this book was written. It was um, sometime between 1600 and 1400 B.C., so that was about 3,500 years ago. Long time. God's word is enduring, right? So to whom was the book written? The book was written to the generation of Israelites who were ready to enter the promised land. Again, he was writing these um, these books, these scrolls as they were wandering. And it was a, a sense of urgency to like, you need to remember this, right? You need to remember this. And so he's getting ready to pass off the torch to Joshua. And if we'll see later, that he actually loses his privilege to lead the Israelites in, which is so sad. But again, it's this idea that he's helping them to remember where they come from, to remember where they're going. And it's important for us to remember, too, when we're thinking about the culture and the times, they're coming out of idol-saturated Egypt. And they're going into idol-saturated Canaan. <laughs> like, it's just kind of a mess for them. And so they're going to need something to ground them. And that's the, the idea with this book and, well, all five of the books. They needed grounding in the reality that there is one true God. One true God. The genre of the book of Exodus is a historical narrative. It's meant to be read as facts. And like any history... It is biased. It has an agenda of what it wants us to know and how it wants us to know it, right? And y'all, that's any history. Any American textbook has an agenda, whether we want to believe it or not. And the great thing about this is that we don't have to be offended by Moses picking and chewing, because chewing, <laughs> choosing, <laughs> picking and choosing because he was doing it with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, which is comforting. So... The central themes, this is where my favorite stuff happens. Um, again, I've already said it, one of our central themes of the book of Exodus is this fact that God is making himself known. And for us as a ministry, that's so excited because one of our primary purposes here is that we want to know God, right? And we want to make him known. So what better book to read than this one where God is really making himself known? There's also themes of deliverance, redemption, compassion, mercy. Like you can really kind of go on and on with a lot of the themes that we're going to see. Um, but one of the things that I think I'm actually going to get you print out. I did this last year too. I thought about it after the fact, but there's big, there's three big movements in Exodus. So the first movement is in chapters one through 13, verse 16. And that's where we're actually seeing Israel enslaved. And we see Moses called during this first movement. We see Pharaoh conf confronted by God, by Moses his messenger, right? And we see that he refuses. So now we're seeing like this tension between God and Pharaoh. That's where we see the 10 plagues. And then um, it ends with that Passover celebration and the rules given as far as how it's to be observed and what they're to do. And it ends with that seven day celebration in chapter uh, 11 through 13 is where we get that chunk. So that's the first movement. Our second movement in the book of Exodus is um, from chapters 13 or chapter 13, verse 17, all the way through uh, chapter 24. And that's Israel actually leaving Ex or Egypt. And they're led by the 
the pillar of smoke and then the pillar of fire. Um, and in this movement, we see their journey to Mount Sinai, where God gives them the law, right? And where we see God call them up to the mountain and they're like, heck no, that's scary. We're not doing that, which is insane. And I mean, put ourselves in their shoes. We'd probably say no too, because that's insane. <laughs> like the mountain is like on fire. So I guess I get it. I can understand why they said no. Um, and then in our third movement is chapters 25 through 40. And this is where God is giving Moses the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Um, this is where Israel's entering in with the covenant of God, right? And then like covenant, think like whenever we get married, we enter into a covenant. So Israel's entering into this covenant with God and they're like, hey, let's build a house. <laughs> so great the tabernacle like we're going to live there together that's where we're going to meet and hang out and so he gives the Israelites the instructions for his dwelling place among them um, we see immediately that Israel, Israel violates the covenant with the golden calf which is wonderful and this is where Moses acts as the advocate says don't kill him then we see that the tabernacle is built and then God's presence actually moves in over the tabernacle and in the tabernacle and then we read that because of Moses and all of his like whiny shenanigans like he lost the privilege of being like the main priest guy so he doesn't get to go in anymore <laughs> like where he was getting to go up with God and commune like he loses that privilege when the tabernacle is actually instituted so what we're really seeing here is the birth narrative of Israel as a people. Because when they went into Exodus, remember, they went in a tiny family. I mean, 70 is a lot. But over the course of those 400 or so years, they multiplied so much so that it made the king of a nation go, whoa, this people is out of control. They are too big. They are too numerous. They're too powerful. And that's when the oppression came, right? So we're seeing this birth of the nation, um, the nation to which we see the promises fulfilled, right? From Genesis, where God says, you're mine, and I'm going to use you to make me known. I'm going to call all of the world to myself through you. We're seeing all of that, that bowl, that bowl, that ball starting to roll. It's so beautiful. So it's Israel's birth narrative. Um, we see this theme of God keeping good on his promises where Israel is concerned, where he's told Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And that's exactly what the plagues are, right? Is Pharaoh is trying to come down hard on Israel to oppress them. And we're going to read, they only multiplied more. They only grew in strength. And so then the curses poured out on Pharaoh. And if we look back to the previous Pharaoh, the one who Joseph was under, he was blessed. He was blessed and his nation prospered and nations around prospered because of his submission to the one true God, even though it was through Joseph, you know what I mean? But he was blessing the nation of Israel. So then he was blessed. It's just God keeping his word, God keeping his promise and doing what he said he's going to do. Then we are also going to see this tension like I kind of built up before between Pharaoh and God. And if you remember back in Genesis, that serpent weaseled his way into the garden, right? And he started to put enmity between God and man. And then the enmity was there between him and man. And we see that in Pharaoh. And actually, whenever... 
in the Old Testament when ex, or when Exodus is being referred to, a lot of the times it's being referred to um, Pharaoh is, and he's referred to as the serpent, mm-hmm. Leviathan, like all of these snake references. So we're getting this picture of Pharaoh. He's kind of a Satan type in our story where Moses is like a type of Christ. And so just all these really cool things that we're going to get to explore. And one of the key things that we need to understand with Pharaoh is Pharaohs at that time were considered gods themselves. Like they were the incarnation of gods and it could have been one god or several or whatever it was. And so we're seeing these false gods pitted against the one true God. And we see those false gods false gods get demolished, right? And a lot of the plagues are speaking to these specific gods and we're going to look at some of that. And so um We've got a lot to dig into, and I'm really so excited. Um, Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep doing the faithful work. 